0: Hello and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform. And it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today.
1: Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter number 2. The rest of us, let's grab our Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter number two. So this is what I found out over the last couple of days, knowing um, what I'm going to preach. My job as a pastor is to take the Word of God and give it to you. I like what the Apostle Paul said in Scripture. He said, um, basically, it is my job to convince. Uh, Matter of fact, one man looked at Paul and said, you've almost convinced me. And uh, so my job is to take the Bible, to preach truth, to try to convince. But truly, though, it is the Holy Spirit that takes that truth and reveals it so that we might understand it and come to a place of decision. And I'm grateful uh, for that today as well. Uh, but in preparation and, and in thinking about um, the job I had before me this morning, it got me to wondering where people stood on different things. And so I have been on purpose um, kind of um, listening and gathering information about several people uh, over the last uh, 48 hours. I walked into church this morning and someone right away said this, um, I am so glad my wife is with me. This, this gentleman, there are several men that are attending our service on 830 that are a part of a large construction project in Eloy and uh, they're from the Charlotte, North Carolina area. They came across our church. They've been here for weeks now, and I'm so grateful to have them. But one of them, their wife came with them to visit him while he's here uh, on that construction job, and he said this, I I wish I could convince her to stay longer, but I think she loves the grandkids more. Okay. That was, that was his words. And I had to agree with him. I remember when Aspen was born, I looked at Ryland and said, it's been nice knowing you. Okay. Um, but I got to love him because he brings Aspen and Harper by. And, and, uh, and so, uh, but uh, you know, we, we love our grandkids. Grandkids bring us joy and, and, and they really, really do. Um, and then I spoke to someone this morning. Now, here's how he presented the story. It went just like this. He said, hey, so pastor, did you kill anything this year on your hunt? And I had no sooner got no out of my mouth when he said, well, we did. We, we actually uh, filled four tags. So, so I came to the conclusion he was not interested in whether I hit anything. That was the conversation starter to let me know that he had okay? And that, that he and his family had taken or harvested four, filled all there. He had to say, we filled all of our tags, okay? And, uh, and so I, I understand um, for some of us, hunting and fishing or activities like that, it, it just brings us joy. Yesterday, I was having a conversation with someone and they right um, out of the blue uh, said they were excited about, uh, at that time, the Detroit Lions and how well they're doing this year in uh, football. And, uh, and so, it didn't take me long to recognize uh, there's someone who finds joy in their team. Yesterday, my, my son calls. He says, hey, did you know that downtown right now, um, they're having the, um, what, what do they call that, Rylan? The what? Yeah, street fair. That was right. I'm like, no, I didn't know that. He said, you ought to come down. There's some really sweet cars out here to look at. And so he said, but I also need a stroller. Okay. I really think he needed me to bring a stroller. Didn't care if I was there. He just needed a stroller. And, uh, and so I grabbed the stroller from the house, took off downtown because I didn't care about him knowing I needed to bring a stroller meant Aspen was there. Okay. So we, we got to trade it on that one. Uh, no, seriously though. He, he was like, dad, you got to see these cars. And so I get down there and uh, we start walking and checking out cars. We enjoyed a, Mark talked about a 55 Chevrolet and my dad's favorite car. He loves it. We looked at uh, one of those, all original. And then I think it was Mark or Deanna or Ryland. I don't know who said, but all the Mustangs are down there. And I like, hallelujah, that's where we're going. Give me the food trucks and the Mustangs. I'm a happy man, right? And so, so we, we went down to Mustang Alley and uh, enjoyed. One thing I recognized yesterday, that cars bring certain people joy. They they do guys gals they love their hot rods they they, they love uh, looking at that those V8s etc. I don't know why anybody showed up yesterday if it wasn't a V8 but we love looking at them right and uh, and so we we enjoy we enjoy the the muscle cars you know that there are things that bring us joy and there's no doubt in that but for the apostle Paul something specific brought him joy and he defines that clearly and we're gonna break this down a little bit we're gonna uh, we're, we're going to go to the end of the passage and kind of launch from there and then rewind to prove it, if, if that's okay. So, so, so let's go see the result of where he's gotten to, and then we're going to see how we got there. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be, and we're going to start reading here together. Uh, let's begin at verse number 16. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Here's what Paul says, and if you don't have it uh, in scripture paper form in front of you, Uh, grab it on a device or look up at the screen. We'll provide that for you. We want you to see what the Bible has to say, and uh, specifically from the the mind of the apostle Paul. The, The Bible says in verse 16, there's something that has happened that produces the word that, okay? I'm not taking it lightly. Blah, 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 that, okay? And the blah is not light, but you understand there's this something that is taking place that, okay? Um, I may rejoice, okay, um, specifically in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Uh, so, so Paul says there is something that has taken place that causes me to rejoice, and it helps me to recognize that everything I've been through, everything that I'm facing, everything that is a part of this life has not been in vain. I would hate to end my life that dash between November 26, 1974, and whenever God calls me home, I, I'd hate for that dash to be vain, empty, uh, of no purpose, of no reason, okay? And so this is what Paul is saying. Something has happened that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your joy or of your faith. Um, notice the next words: I joy, I joy. The word joy in the Greek is defined as, or in the text, another way of saying it would be to say I delight, or I have found excitement. I it it brings me to this uh, this attitude of being glad. So here's what Paul is saying: um, I have. I have delight. I have joy. I'm glad. Okay. Watch what he says. Um, and rejoice with you all. For the same calls also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Uh, th- this is a super cool verse. And, and it really, is, it's like a cliffhanger that makes us want to go back and find out why he's rejoicing, why he's jo- uh, joyful. But, but here's what I, I don't want you to miss. Notice that last part of that verse. For the same cause, the same thing that got me to this point that I've recognized that I've not labored in vain, and I have joy and do rejoice. For that same cause, what does he want for us? Notice the text. Also do ye joy. What has brought me joy and caused me to rejoice it I want that to be what brings you joy and causes you to rejoice. But the cool thing about this passage is: I know the Apostle Paul's a pastor, I get that. Uh, or, or he's a preacher at, at at least. He's a missionary. He's a he's a church planner. He is one that is launching the church in the first century so that we can enjoy it today. And I get that. But this book was not written to college students. It was not written purposely to other pastors. Here's what he's not saying. Hey, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. And I find joy in helping others and preaching the gospel. Um, And so I want other pastors to find joy and and excitement in preaching the gospel. No, watch. This letter is written to a church. Just just to, I hate to say it this way, just, just a plain old church. It's just written to a group of believers that lived in Philippi, business owners, employees, employers, okay, Um, stay-at-home moms, right, Um, um, uh, laborers of the field, um, cattle workers, um, shepherds, people who lived in this particular area and were involved in regular everyday life. So, that brings us to want to go back and research what the that is, okay? Now, we're going to do that, go back to Philippians chapter number one. Chapter number one, Philippians one, and let's, let's see for a moment what um, this joy is found in, okay? And so, we're going to kind of intro some of these thoughts to get us thinking. Number one, joy is found in the results of the gospel, okay? Joy is found in the results of the gospel. But before we go any further, just for the sake of guest, we've heard the phrase, that's gospel. That is the gospel. Uh, but, but we recognize, and I hope you do, that the word gospel means this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? The simplest form of that, Jesus died for the sins of mankind, he was then placed in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he came to life. That separates him from every other God or every other religious figure. He is now alive, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father ever to intercede for you and for me. That's the gospel. That is the way to salvation through Jesus Christ alone, the blood covering for atonement and reconciliation. We see the whole altar sacrificial system working through the gospel. This is what the gospel is. Now, with that being said, ready? The the, the joy of Paul, he's going to state this, is found in the results of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice this with me. Chapter number one, and let's begin reading specifically in verse number three. The Bible says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, of what? That he, Christ, which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, or God, sorry, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ and his coming even as it is meet or important for me to think this of you all because i have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel ye you guys are all partakers of my grace what i've experienced he says you have experienced for god is my record how greatly i long after you all in the bowels of jesus christ and this i pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that they may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So in this little section of of scripture, God, through the apostle Paul, is explaining, uh, literally, here's what he's saying, because of the gospel, this is what has happened. Here are the results of me knowing the gospel, and here are the results of you now knowing the gospel. Result number one is the love that it has produced. The the apostle Paul has just had this extreme love for this group of people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, a passion for them, these individuals who were at one time in their own sin and now have been forgiven. Notice how we know that. Look at verse number three. He said, I have you in my mind. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Number two, he says in verse seven, I have you in my heart. Notice here, even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my what? In my heart. Look at verse number four and verse number nine. In every prayer of mine, look at verse number nine. In this, I pray that your love may abound. I have you in my prayers. Do you see what the gospel has produced in Paul? The fact that Jesus died, he was buried, and has risen again has produced a love for people. And the apostle Paul says, "This is a result of what Jesus Christ has done for me." You are always on my mind. I started to sing right there, but I just refrained a little bit. Okay, got a little tang and twang in it. All right, you know, I, I almost did. All right, uh, but but you get the idea. Paul says, I'm always thinking about you. I'm always concerned for you. I'm always always wondering how you're doing. That's the result of the gospel. When you truly understand that individuals without Jesus Christ are lost and on their way to hell, eternal separation from God and all of God's plan, that it ought to create a love and a passion for someone. And Paul says, I've got you on my mind. I'm always thinking of you. I'm always reminded of you. Then he says this, and I have you in my heart. The the, the heart is the center of our emotions. It's, It's what drives us. Paul says, you're always on my heart. I carry you here. I think of you, I have you on my heart, which drives me to my knees. Every time I'm in prayer, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for this church. I'm praying for this people. I'm praying for this community. And and every time, I'm always in remembrance of you, praying for you, asking God for you. There are people right now in our home that every single night of every single day, almost of every single week, without fail, their names are called by us in our family prayer time to God for salvation. How do you get to that spot? Most of our prayers are this, Lord, help me with my cancer and help me with my finances and help me with my struggles and help me with my regret and my bitterness. And I can't believe what they did to me. And I can't believe this has happened. But you know what? Somebody who understands the gospel prays a little differently. Lord, be with so and so. They don't know Christ. And I pray for my family members that are away from Jesus. And I pray for this individual who is walking a path that is going to take them in the wrong place. God, please, Lord, please, because of the gospel, it produces a love. And Paul is saying that. Watch number two. He says it has produced a partnership. Notice verse number five, for your fellowship in the gospel, because of the gospel. From the first day till now. The word fellowship is the word partnership. Um, the gospel provides not only love, but it provides camaraderie and partnership. One of the things I love about our church is the partnership, the fellowship that we have uh, with each other. Uh, j- just for instance, the men have this face. Uh, Sorry, not Facebook, uh, but we have in our church app, the men of our church have this um, uh, group within our app, and the ladies do too, and their teens have one. And and so the the men have, and, and inside the men's group, there are categories, there's a hunting category. There's an off-road category. Uh, there is a shooting category. There is a work group category or prayer request category. And what I love about this app is our guys all week long are sending messages and replying to messages and, hey, would you pray for this? Or And there, there's one that says general, doesn't it, Mac? And that's where we pick on each other. Like we send crazy pictures that remind us of different guys in the church and we make fun. And, and, and then somebody just posted, what's it you, Warren, that just posted um, uh, how you know that you have a good friend is, is we make fun of you in front of your face, right? But we pray for you behind your back or we support you behind your back and all that stuff. We, we just love it. There's such camaraderie, there's partnership, there's fellowship, why? Because that's what the gospel produces. The camaraderie of the body of Christ, partnership arms, legs, eyes, ears. Those parts, the Bible says, Paul says, make up one whole. Thirdly, notice what he says here in the text. He says the gospel produces love. It produces partnership. It's, it's also given us security. It is promised security. Please don't miss this. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now let's define a word here. Uh, in the King James, it uses the word perform. Um, the word perform though, when we think about it in our modern context, um, it's, th- this word is actually deceiving somewhat in the King James in the fact that when I think of performing, I think of acting out. I think of um, uh, a demonstration on a platform in a performance, but that's not what the word means. Uh, the word literally means it, it, it brings to completion finality. Okay? So so don't miss this. Uh, the Bible says this, and this is a powerful thought. He which hath begun a good work in you will perfect it, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, so all of us recognize that we could not save ourselves. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is what? It is what, church? The gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we understand that. And so all of us would raise our hand and say, you know what? I'm thankful for the saving work of Jesus Christ. But here's what the gospel also provides. The same God who started it on the cross, it's the same God who perfects it until the coming of Jesus Christ. If Let me ask you something. Warren, can you save yourself? I mean, I, I think, Greg, how about you? I know you. That is not possible. All right. All right? Does that make sense when I'm saying, Anthony, can you save yourself? No, you can't save yourself. There's, no, there's nothing you can do that you can't do enough good to erase the bad. That is, it's, just, it's just not possible to save yourself. So what makes us think that we can sustain ourselves after salvation? He is the one that provides the security and the finality. You may feel broken as if you can't get it accomplished, but the truth be known, he can through you. He is that security, and he's going to take you from this moment of your salvation and finish it, perfect it until the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, look, the gospel provides security. That brings joy. To recognize that there's nothing good within me, that that it's all Christ, should bring us joy. Joy is found in the results of the gospel. Number two, number two, joy is found in the furtherance of the gospel. And so we're going to simplify this and we're going to help. Uh, I've shared this before many, several years ago in the past. We talk about it in every starting points class. So if you've been through the starting points class, you may remember this acrostic. And so um, it, it's, it, it's the acrostic of joy. So if you were to take joy and stack each letter on top of each other, it would create this, this cool little thing to, to kind of see and connect with. Jesus first, the letter J, others second, yourself last. That's how you have joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's how we get to joy. You mess that order up, you you mess up the ability to have joy. For for instance, when we put our confidence in people, our joy sometimes is robbed. People that we loved who hurt us. People that we trusted who turned their back. People who we thought we knew who could not come through. So so, so you, you really can't Even heroes, I've had men that I looked up to, that I thought were uh, men to kind of pattern my life and example after, who fell into immorality, who had to resign their churches. Uh, We cannot get it out of order. We we can't put others as the center focal point. It's got to come in order. Um, Or or if you put yourself first, uh, you know what? My life is all about me, and I'm going to get mine. Well, the crazy thing is, you might get yours, but in a couple of moments, you're going to want more. And you can't find joy and satisfaction in accomplishing self, okay? And so it's got to be done in this order. And Paul puts it in this order. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Look at the scriptures with me. Let's walk through it together. Verse number, let's start with verse number 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have happened or fallen out rather unto, why, the furtherance of the gospel." so that my bonds, my bondage currently, I am in jail. I am in prison. I am in shackles. I am in chains because I was preaching the gospel. I know you don't understand this, uh, the people of Philippi. You Philippian people don't get it. You don't know how or why I'm stuck in this particular circumstance that I am in shackles. I'm in a prison cell. I'm behind bars, and it's confusing to you, and you don't understand that, but this is why I'm writing you this letter, The reason I am here, the reason I am in shackles is not because I robbed a bank or I beat up a guy in an alley. The reason I am in shackles is because I was preaching the gospel. And you think that I'm bummed about it, but I need to let you know that is actually not the case. And that is what Paul is saying in the passage. So that my bonds in Christ are clearly seen or manifest in all the palace and all other places and many of the brethren in the lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear some indeed preach christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill the one preach christ of contention not sincerely but supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love knowing that i am set for the defence of the gospel what then notwithstanding every way whether in pretense or in truth christ is preached and I therein do rejoice, yea, will rejoice. Here's what Paul is saying. It's about Jesus, not about my bondage. It's about Jesus, not about those who are bad-mouthing me. It's about Jesus, not about those who are twisting what has happened and gaining at my expense. It's not about being betrayed. It's not about being in bondage. It's about Jesus. Jesus. It's about Jesus. This is literally what he's saying in the text. Everything that happens in my life is for the furtherance of the gospel. It's all about Jesus. And church, just in case you don't know the background to what is happening, Paul is in jail because he was preaching. And when he was put in jail, some people took advantage of the fact that Paul was arrested, and here's what they were doing. They were bad-mouthing Paul, saying, uh, basically, Paul's gospel isn't the right gospel. You need to follow us. And they were preaching Jesus, though, but from contention. Can you imagine there ever being contention within the church? you got people on this side of the aisle and they believe this. And people on this side of the aisle and they're mad about that. Okay. So, so there's contention, right? It happens. Okay. But here's what Paul's saying. Um, it really doesn't matter to me. Number one, it doesn't matter that I'm in bonds because since I've been in bondage, he said, the whole palace knows about the one I'm in bondage to and that is Christ. Not just the jail, but the palace have heard about the gospel through the man, Paul. He said, it's not only that, he said, it's emboldened people since I've been in bondage. People are like going, well, if Paul can can suffer for Jesus, then then we can suffer for Jesus. And they're preaching the gospel, okay? And so so now he's in bondage and the gospel's going out. Now people are talking and bad-mouthing him and the gospel is still going out. And here's what he says, I rejoice. I rejoice. I am so happy and glad inside that the gospel is going out because that's all that matters. Jesus first, the gospel first in every circumstance of life. It's all about Jesus. I shared this story this morning. I've shared it a long time ago. It's been a while, and I'm going to try to do it in a quick version. My wife, one Wednesday night before church back in North Carolina, began to have some abdominal pains She's like, Ray, I am hurting really, really bad, bent over in pain. And she said, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the medication that I'm on. Maybe it's something that I ate. It's just I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going to take a pain pill and go to bed. And so right before she took the pain pill, she made a phone call to another friend that was a nurse and shared what she was feeling. And and the friend said, no, don't take that pill. Just go to the hospital. Let's just get it checked out. Let's just make sure that everything's okay. And so she says, okay. And she leaves me with the kids and she takes off for the ER just to go get a scan. About 35 minutes later, the phone rings and my wife says, you need to get here right in that right now. They've called in an um, a emergency surgical team. I've had a ruptured tubal pregnancy and my insides have been filling with blood. And the pressure and the pain that I'm feeling is all the blood that's inside of me. And so I hopped in the car, took off. By the time I get there, they're rolling her out of the ER on the stretcher, heading to the surgical area. I kiss her, hug her. They roll her through the door as I wait on the other side. They, they had her in surgery so fast, true story, that the medicine, the gas to knock her out had not completely taken effect. She could feel the cut of the knife, and then she passed out. Crazy. All of a sudden, our world is spinning, Right? The next morning, we're in a hospital room. She's barely out of it. In it, you know, she's coming out of it. And the nurse walks in, and there's a nurse in training with her in this particular room. And so my wife looks over. They're asking her questions. They're checking her. How do you feel? I feel okay. Is your, everything feels good? And they're giving her a report. And when my wife looks up at the nurse that is in training, and says, "Do you go to church anywhere?" My first thought was, "Really, right now?" That is. I remember sitting in the chair thinking, seriously, right now. She's like, do you go to church anywhere? The girl's like, no, my family and I have been looking. We've tried a couple of places, but we haven't locked in anywhere. <coughs> Robin says, I'm, I, I'm, my, my husband and I are a pastor at New Life Baptist Church. I mean, sorry, Eastside Baptist Church. And, and uh, she said, um, we'd love to have you. The girl's like, oh, I know Eastside. I've got a teacher that taught me in high school that actually attends that church. And she said, well, we'd love to have you. And so surgery's done. They send her home on Thursday for recovery. And Sunday rolls around. I'm sitting in the, in, at, at, up on the platform. I'm looking out. We're singing a hymn. And the doors open up a little bit late to the service. And in walks the nurse, her husband, and their four children. I remember getting on my phone and texting right away, Robin, Robin, the, the, the nurse is here. Robin should have been in church, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, she was, she was in recovery. And uh, so I'm like, they're here. She's like, seriously? I'm like, seriously, they're here. In the next two weeks, that young lady had already trusted Christ. She knew Jesus. She had a wonderful story of her upbringing, but her husband hadn't. On the fought two Sundays later, after him coming to two services and us meeting with them and talking, uh, on the way home one day, he accepts Jesus Christ as his Savior. And uh, and then at camp that summer, uh, three of their children trust Jesus Christ uh, as their Savior. Today, that family is still attending church. Now, all that to say is this: I don't care if it's a hospital bed. I don't care if it's a flat tire on the highway. I don't care if it's financial struggle and you're sitting in front of a a counselor. It's all about the furtherance of the gospel. Where God puts us and how he puts us there, if we we base life upon that, we are most miserable. Why do I have this in my body? Why is this happening in my life? Why now in a flat tire at this Particular spot when it, uh, it, why? Why this moment? Why is this going on? Because we serve a sovereign God who is not necessarily, uh, it's hard to say this, concerned about your happiness as much as he's concerned about the message of the gospel. And life becomes about the gospel and it brings joy. How can you bring joy from a ruptured tubal pregnancy? Seeing somebody come to Jesus Christ because of it. That's how you, and and we're so nervous to share the gospel in those moments, but we just don't know. It may be the place and the moment, the time that God has placed us. It may be the prison cell that he's put us in so that the castle can know about Jesus Christ. Number two, quickly, others second. Now look at verse 22. He says in verse, actually, let me back up. Notice what Paul says. I want you to see it. According to my earnest expectation and my hope, what is this expectation and hope? That in nothing I shall be ashamed. Why? But that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether by life, amen, or by death. I want Christ to be magnified. I want Jesus to be magnified. Why? Look at the next verse. Remember, here's that famous verse we all know and love. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, if I'm going to be living, if I've got to be here breathing, it's going to be about Jesus. For me to live in Christ. You say, that, but that's all well and good because Paul's called to do that. He's a pastor. Hang on. Hang on. Number two, others second. Look at verse number 22. But if I live in the flesh, if, if I've got to be here, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I choose, I want not. It's not about my decision. Why? Because I'd rather die and be with Christ. Verse 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Amen? Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, notice this phrase, is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me, my coming to you again. Notice, Notice who the emphasis is on. It's them. It's more needful for you verse 24. I know that I'm going to abide. Why? So that you may go further in joy of faith. I'm going to abide that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. Jesus first, others second. Let me ask you a question. Outside of the well-being of your family, I get that. It's hard to ask this question and not think about providing for our wife, kids, helping our husband, loving our family. Okay, I'm not, I'm not referencing that. 2023 is gone. 2024 is here. Okay. Think of 2023, think of people. Think of people you invested in in 2023 on a spiritual faith level. Not a money level, not a monetary level, not I love that bumper sticker that says, "Yes, this is my truck and no, I won't help you move." Okay? I'm not talking about cuz you helped a neighbor move. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I'm talking about spiritual investment. Who have you spiritually invested in in 2023 that if you died right now would be affected by it in 2024? Whose life would be affected in the furtherance of their joy of faith if you departed right now? Here's what Paul's saying. This is literally what he's saying. I'd rather die and go be with Jesus, but I can't because if I die right now, you don't go further in your faith. That's what he's saying. He said, I want you to rejoice more. And I've got to be here for you to do that. I want you to go further. You know, I know sometimes we come to church to make us feel good and hopefully find some joy. But you know what? Before sometimes we can get to the joy of healing, we got to peel the scab off and that hurts. Right? We got to recognize that a bone's broken and then splint it up in order to have a stronger bone later right? She's going through it. Okay, watch. Paul said this, my joy is a result of the gospel. And because of the gospel, because of the gospel, um, I can watch you be developed in your faith and grow in your faith. It's all about for me to live as Christ and to die as gain so that if I stay here and live, somebody else goes further in their faith. That is, there is no greater joy than watching someone's life radically change because God used us as an instrument of the gospel in their lives. Okay, so, so watch this. Jesus first, others second, yourself last, Joy looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Nowhere in this passage does Paul say it's about me. Over and over again, all he's listening, to, it's about Christ. It's about others. I'm doing what I'm doing for Christ. I'm doing what I'm doing for others. I'm serving him. I would rather, I would rather die right now and be with him absent from the body. It's present with the Lord, but it's more needful that I stay. It's all about Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. Then thirdly, joy is found in the results of the gospel, number two, in the furtherance of the gospel, and then thirdly, in the growth of the gospel, in the growth that the gospel brings. And here's what I want to do. This is, uh, you're going to help me out back there with this, Chris, and the growth of the gospel. We're going to just take the end of this passage and just read it and just kind of break it down and, and not really write out a bunch of points. I'm going to go in and give you the two things that you're going to see in the closing of this passage. The two things you're going to see in the church now is, number one, you're going to see personal growth, And then number two, you are going to see corporate growth. When I say corporate growth, I mean the growth of the body of believers, the church corporately, okay? So what I want you to do is I'm going to read this. We're going to talk through it, and then we're going to be done. And as I read this, I want you to pick out where personal growth is coming in, and then I want you to pick out where church growth is coming in, where corporate growth is happening. Because what you're going to see now is Paul saying, because of the gospel, we have this fellowship. And don't worry about me, it's all about him. It's all about others. And when you grab this, you're going to grow personally. And when y'all grab this, you like that Southern term, amen, Mr. Arkansas. When y'all grab this, we're going to grow together. And this is what's going to happen in the church. Personal growth, corporate growth is the result of the gospel. It, it, it just has to be. We have got to be growing once we accept Jesus Christ. Watch. If he is the starter of it, and he is the finisher, the completer of it, then that means when I walk with him, there's got to be what? There's just got to be growth. And that is what we're looking for. And that is what we see Paul explaining to this church that he wants to see in them individually and then corporately. And, and, and again, to bring us to verse 16. All right, here we go of chapter two. Let's start with, back with chapter one. All right. And let's pick up with specifically verse number 27. Only let your conversation or your manner of living, your conduct, okay, that's what that word means. Only let your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So, so let your life, your conduct, your way of living be a representation or the effect of the gospel of Christ so that why, whether I come see you or else I be absent, doesn't matter if I'm with you or not, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here's growth. Growth comes from this. Ready? Look at the text. Growth comes from your conduct being a representation of the cross of Christ. Growth comes corporately here in that we recognize the cross and we come together striving as one unified in mind for that goal, right? That's what the text says, that our conduct personally, would as be as becometh the gospel of Christ, and that we would strive together in one mind for the faith of the gospel. You see the growth. When I begin to understand gospel, it changes me. When I begin to understand gospel, it changes us corporately. Okay, now watch the next verse. And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Watch, for unto you is it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him. That's awesome, right? The believing part's cool. I get heaven. But what is not the cool part is what Paul is going through right now. And here's what he says. But also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. I tell you, Christ is awesome when it comes to salvation, Right? Christ not as, doesn't feel quite as awesome when it comes to suffering because I know Him. But the same rejoicing is there because of what we're living for. And this is what Paul is communicating through growth. Look at chapter 2. Here's growth. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy... Fulfill ye my joy. That's that, there's that word again, my delight. That ye, you guys, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. How do we know we're a growing church? Because pastor, we just moved into a new building. Boy, that is a wonderful mark of a growing church. No. How do we know that we are a growing church according to Scripture? What does the passage say? Verse number one, how do we know that we are a growing church? Chapter two or chapter three, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, by letting nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not on every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Powerful thought in it. How do I know I'm growing personally? How do we know we're growing corporately? When we, as a body of believers, come together with one mind and one spirit of one accord for one single purpose. And what is that purpose? The gospel. Um, my mom and dad are members of Liberty Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. Um, I became a member at the sweet, awesome age of six months old. And so I'm 49, just turned 49. So you can say my parents have been members of Liberty Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina for 49 years. In 49 years of attending that church, I have never seen, heard, or experienced a church split. Anybody understand what the name church split means? It means one faction of the church. It's driven for one purpose, and one faction of the church is driven for another purpose, and they're fighting over it, and so one group ends up leaving, and the church splits, okay? Now, is the church messed up? Sure it is. Has it had problems? Absolutely. Have there been crazy people there? Yes, I was one, okay? Has there been sin involved in that church? You better know it, it's full of people. But how can a church exist for 49 years and never experience a church split? Here's my theory. And I think it's more than that. I think it's a truth. Because the number one passion of Liberty Baptist Church is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and that's not just clicheic; it really is. Every single week, it's not just one or two people, it's 40. And I, mind you, the church is running probably eight to a thousand, depending on the Sunday. Okay. It's a good, strong, existing church. It's, it's not always been that big, but it's where it is now. So, so mind you, I get that. But every single week, there are, uh, there are uh, I don't know, 50, 60, 100, literally, this is not a stretch, people going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, inviting people to church and bring him in. Every Sunday, there are 10 to 12 buses that leave every Sunday morning and go pick up kids all across the city of Durham, North Carolina. Every single week, there are people being discipled and passionately driven toward knowing the gospel and then growing in the gospel. There is a want not a want There's uh, there's children's ministries going on. Past the Pirate Club, there is uh, teaching uh, kids about Jesus and the gospel. There's teen ministry. There's adult ministry. There are uh, groups and Sunday schools. And it, and there's a Christian school that's been there. I attended there as a kid. I grew up in that Christian school, teaching kids about the gospel. I'm not saying the church is perfect. They know they're not perfect. But there's one thing they've done consistently in my life for 49 years as they've always been Jesus-driven and gospel others-driven. They're too busy reaching people for Jesus Christ to be back at home fighting with each other. Now, praise God that's not happened here. I am so thankful and we have to stay like this. One mind, the Bible says, notice the text again, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Every man working for the gospel and not themselves, lowliness of mind, esteeming others better than themselves, not jealous that she gets to do that and he gets to do this, but glad she has the skill to do that and glad that he has the ability to do this, working together, elevating, loving each other for the sake of the gospel. This is the sign of a Joyful church. A happy church. Not happy necessarily again and giggly, but inside finding delight. Notice what happens when the opposite takes place. There's strife and vainglory. There's pride and self-centeredness. The Bible says that's not so here. Why? Here's their example. And you know this passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This same mind that was in Christ ought to be in us. This is growth who being in the form of God, thought it not what? Robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being made in the likeness of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ left heaven's throne through humility. Christ left heaven's throne wanting to please the Father first. Christ left heaven's throne thinking of others here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Aren't we thankful for the love of God? It's greater far than any tongue or pen can tell. It goes beyond the farthest star into the deepest hell. Matter of fact, the song goes on to say, if heaven were a scroll and all the ocean were ink, you couldn't take every feather of every bird and completely write out the love of God. What an amazing thought. God moved on our behalf. He is the example so that we know how to grow personally and corporately as a place. Notice here as well as we close out this thought. The Bible says in verse number 12, Wherefore, because of that, my beloved, the church, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not a salvation verse. It says figure out if you're saved or not. It means now that you're saved, work out what has happened in your life. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and do of His good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I just want to pause right there and just show growth. Show growth. The church is the light. We are the city that is set on a hill that can't be hid, right? We're the light. So we got to be different than a bickering world and a complaining world and a griping world. We got to be a world that doesn't bicker, complain, and gripe, okay? All murmurings and disputings. I know we can't imagine there being murmurings in the church. I know that's like the farthest thing from our mind, right? Uh, And and disputings, arguing among ourselves. We got to find the main purpose, the main reason, and shoot for that goal, right? Why? So that we can be lights in a dark world. That is the joy we bring to these people. Now, we're back to where we started at the beginning of the message. Remember that. Remember the word that? Holding forth the word of life, that. All this to say that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, if, God, if I have to be laid upon the altar, if I have to die to me and serve you, and I joy and rejoice with you all, for the same cause also do you, do ye joy and rejoice with me. <laughs> what a great thought. It, it really is. It's a great thought. And, and Paul's saying, that's the reason, the gospel. The gospel, that's the reason, church the gospel. That's the reason. The reason I joy and do rejoice is the gospel. And then he says this, and for the same cause, I want you to joy and rejoice. Do do you believe that is possible? Do you ever scratch your head and say, I don't understand why somebody does that? How, How are they finding joy in the midst of that? It, it really all depends on what the core of that is and whether it's going to be sustainable or not. Why would Stephen, the first martyr, being stoned to death, standing there against the Jewish law and tradition, be willing to die for Jesus Christ? The answer is the gospel. Why would 12 men proclaim the same truth for 40 years, never one time denying it, even when being beaten and tortured, and stoned, and put into prison. Twelve men whose message never varied. The gospel. What would cause believers to stand up and sing praises unto God while their bodies were being lit on fire to light the Roman games? The gospel. What would cause John Wycliffe to go against the Catholic church knowing his life was at stake in order to be sure the known world could have their own copy of the Bible and not just the church own a copy of the Bible. Why would John Wycliffe do that? The gospel. Why did Wycliffe go against the papal authority in order to translate that Bible into the English language, even at the cost of his life? The gospel. Why would Elizabeth Elliot, after the slaughter of her husband and five other men, Go back into the jungles of Ecuador to the exact tribe that threw the spear through the heart of her, her husband. The gospel. What would cause William Carey to leave everything and for 41 years serve the people of India and translate the Bible into Bengali? The gospel. What would cause Adoniram Judson and Anne Judson to be the first missionaries who went overseas to serve on the mission field in both India and Burma to work on translating the Bible into their language and then be arrested for doing so, the gospel. What would cause James Hudson Taylor to leave his land, his country, to be the first Christian missionary to China and to spend 51 years there to bring truth to those who had never heard the name of Jesus in their own language, to find and found the inland China, China Inland Mission, and, and the answer is the gospel. What would cause Amy Carmichael, an Irish missionary to India to open an orphanage rescuing children from being trafficked by the Hindu temples, to serve in India for 45 years without a furlough, meaning she didn't come home. And in the last 20 years of her life, bedridden to write books about the gospel and missions. What would cause her to do that? The joy of the gospel. I want to introduce you to several families this morning because I want you to see that there's joy in giving out the gospel. The joy of the gospel, the Snook family, missionaries to Togo, West Africa. We financially support this family. They've taken their whole family there to be medical missionaries, to use the tool of medicine to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why would they do that? The joy of the gospel. The Bullock family, these two and their two boys in Spain for the last eight years, planning a brand new church in a country that hates Bible truth, the joy of the gospel. The Reed family, missionaries to the foreign land of Thailand, way out in the jungles there starting churches, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why do they do that? The joy of the gospel. The Gellis family, they travel coast to coast here in America, back and forth across the country, sharing the truth of the gospel. The Gellis family um, carrying the gospel overseas, all for the joy of the gospel. Mr. Norman and his sweet wife, that's the one, uh, if you're looking at it, bottom corner, older couple, they go from church to church across America, and they fill in the pulpits of churches who are without their pastors or have lost a pastor. Why do they do that? And, and this late in life, the joy of the gospel. The Youngs, that's the young family with the little girl there with a brown background, missionaries to a dangerous mission field in Columbia, South America. Why do they put their lives in jeopardy? For the joy of the gospel. Tim Avila was just here with us last year. What a great guy. Why does he go to the tombs in the Philippines? People sleeping, literally making their houses on top of grave sites because the government has pushed them out of their homes and they have nowhere else to go. It's for the joy of the gospel. Don't feel bad for these people. I know sometimes we look at missionaries and say, oh, poor Tim. Tim having to step through mud and smell stench while you share. Don't, don't, Tim would tell you, don't feel bad for me. It's, it's for the joy of the gospel. Hey, church, that's where we're going to find joy. You truly want to experience some crazy joy? Then you invite somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ to church. You sit down at a table in Starbucks and open up the Bible and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. You sit down in their living room and continue doing that week after week, month after month until finally on an Easter morning with tears in his eyes, he calls you out of your class and sits at a table and says, I'm ready to trust Christ. There is not, there is not a feeling on the planet That is sweeter to watch a bearded, tattooed, covered man drop atheism and the scorn of the gospel, and call upon the name of Jesus. There's nothing like it. That's just one of many experiences you and I can rejoice in and have joy. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He loves, He saves, He is searching, He is seeking, and He's loved us enough to put us in the game to do it with Him. That is amazing. It's the gospel And we've got to stay passionate personally and passionate corporately because of the joy that it produces. Father, thank you so much for the time that we have together.
0: We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC Podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.